Welcome to Window of Opportunity, a Stargate Rewatch podcast. I'm Carrie. I'm Rachel. And today we're talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 1, Episode 10, The Torment of Tantalus. And with us today, we have the most special of special guests. You know her. You love her. She's one of my very bestest friends, and she's my best friend because of this show. It's Brianna! Yay! Yay! Welcome. Thanks for coming on my little show. Thank you for having me on your little show. I love your little show. Oh, thank you. I'm very glad you can make it. I'm glad I finally did. Yes. This is great. And yes. this is a good one, too. This is probably, like, one of the top five of season one, for sure. For me, at least. Yeah. I mean... This definitely is a good one. Yeah. Season one is is so good for Daniel stuff, you know? Yeah. 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 And we're Daniel girls, so... Right. Do we have any Jack girls on this podcast? I mean, I'm an everybody girl. Well, All right, well there you go. okay. I don't, I don't, I don't have any favorites really. Oh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a dyed in the wool Danny Wumper. That's me. Yes, you are. Good figure. <laughs> if they're named, if if there's a character on anything named Daniel, you wump them. Uh, <laughs> it seems to be going that way. Yes, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it does. Oh, yes. no, I'm trying to think of other shows where there's Daniels. Cobra Kai. Well, That's yes, the only one like, that matters. Other yes. funny ones. Uh, crap. No, I don't know. I put myself on the spot and didn't think of any. You did, but I can, I can only injured. think of two, but they're the only two that matter. They are. All right, we'll we go don't with it. Have to worry about anything else. Okay. All right. Well, y'all are in for a treat, if you couldn't already tell by this little back and forth we just had. Um, <laughs> So strap yourselves in. It's going to be a ride. Um, Okay, so let's get into it. As we said, this is The Torment of Tantalus. It originally aired on October 3rd, 1997. It was written by Robert T. Cooper and directed by Jonathan Glasner. Our summary is SG-1 tracks down Catherine Langford's fiancé who took the first Stargate trip in 1945 and discovers an ancient meeting hall that may hold the secrets of the universe itself. Without a one, Danny Zuko. Oh, from Greece. He's a Daniel. He is a Daniel. Okay, continue. Okay. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Not a TV show. Doesn't count. Oh, no. Not a big Travolta Travolta Uh. fan. So this episode starts, we see a man dialing the Stargate by hand, and then we sort of pan down over some guys in lab coats to a guy in like glasses and a suit who apparently seems to be the guy in charge. He tells the guy dialing the gate to stop, and then another guy in a lab coat like looks over his shoulder and yells charge to somebody. And fun fact, it's Paul McGillian! Yes. Who later see is Dr. Carson Beckett in Stargate Atlantis. So this is his very first Stargate appearance. And we'll have him back later, which is great. Does that count as Vancouver Bingo? Oh, maybe. It might. Um. Well, wouldn't wouldn't the other direction, Beckett would be Stargate, or be, be Canadian Bingo for him having been on before? Oh, so he becomes Bingo when he appears on Atlantis. Hmm. Hmm. Can you retroactively bingo? I don't know. Back bingo? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Wait, back bingo, back, back bingo Beckett. Back bingo Beckett. There we go. 
And Brie yeah. did not watch Atlantis. So um, I didn't know for like four years that yeah. Ernest was Beckett. You missed out. I did. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah. Um, also, fun fact. So for you listeners out there, uh, there is a, a book called Stargate SG-1, The Essential Scripts. And this episode is in there. So we'll be dropping in some fun facts from the script in there. And the script describes Ernest as being bright, good-looking scientist, similar in many ways to Daniel. He's supposed to be, you know, like Daniel, and then Daniel like him. So he wasn't they give away spoilers in their, pr- in their in their in their in their promo snippets. They give yeah. away major character observations. Yes. Like in the script. Yeah. Before Catherine says it. Yes. Well, it's probably, you know, for casting. So when they were casting it, they knew like what to look for. Eh, so I'll give them that. I'll give yeah. them that. Yeah. Um, so after he yells charge, the first Chevron lights up and is like locked. And then they start dialing the gate again by hand. And we sort of pan away and we see a guy with a video camera. And then this is, I think how they did the effects in this episode are really cool. Switching between the sort of flashbacks and present time where the image we're watching slowly fades to a very grainy sepia tone. And then we pull back and we see Daniel is actually watching this footage on a TV. So there's footage from some time in the past of people doing experiments on the gate. Uh, so then Jack comes in and reminds Daniel that they're supposed to be at a, some sort of physical assessment. And Daniel tells Jack this footage was from experiments that were done on the gate in 1945. And isn't that really super interesting and like mind blowing? Because as far as anybody who's at the SGC now is aware, nothing happened between when the gate was brought to the U.S. from Giza and like the late 90s, mid to late 90s, when Catherine Langford in the movie started up. You know, mm-hmm. the SGC and all the experiments then. But all the files, there's no conclusion. There's no summary. There's no notes or anything to explain why these experiments were done and then just apparently suddenly stopped. So back on the screen, there's a guy in an old-timey, like, diving suit, and the gate is active. What? They managed, they managed to turn it on in 1945 and connect to a planet somewhere and we see this guy walking up the ramp and like his diving suit is like connected to an air hose like it would be if it was like going underwater and he steps through the gate and then the gate shuts off severing the air hose (gasps) he's dead Uh, short episode yeah (laughs) the end (laughs) (laughs) um so apparently some guy went through the stargate in 1945 and nothing about this was ever mentioned anywhere to anybody who has anything to do with the Stargate program. They don't really ever explain at what point in time do they decide, okay, we no, oh, oh shit, he didn't come back. We're, let's, yeah, we should probably all just go home. They yeah. don't, like, <laughs> like, did they just stop like that day and shut everything down? Did they like keep coming back for like a week, a month, a couple months? hoping for something yeah they never do say um and that's actually kind of a weird thing with rcc his scripts are usually so freaking detailed like through dialogue and stuff even we get stuff we miss 
Yeah. This is only his second script, though, for the show. So he maybe was still, you know, fairly That's early in his true. career, you know, working things out. So, But another interesting thing uh, that differs in the script to the scene is that in the script, Daniel's actually watching this on a projector with, like, reel-to-reel film, not on a TV. And I think it, it was supposed to then sort of mirror what was happening in the film because in the film, there's a shot where we actually see it's Ernest in the diving suit before it's revealed in the episode, like that shot comes later than it is in the script. And they're sort of both like staring at the gate in awe with their faces lit up from the wormhole. And then the script says it sort of transitions to the reel of film running out and then the light of the projector lighting up Daniel's face. And so I think that was supposed to be sort of an interesting transition and parallel between the light of the gate and the light of the projector on these men yeah that's gorgeous why didn't they do that maybe they couldn't find a projector i don't i don't know come on glasner get it together why didn't you shoot that scene yeah i don't know i I also thought i did notice to myself and it kind of stuck out is the the camera angles of the old film are definitely what you would film if you were filming like a movie, but not if you were just like recording this event in that time. Cause I'm going to go ahead and assume that they did not have like three or four cameras going at the same time. Yeah. To get all of those angles. <laughs> I it mean, probably was just shot. one guy walking around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I could see maybe, maybe, maybe like two cameras, like one guy, maybe just focusing like on the gate, another guy with the people or something. But yeah, the, the flashback footage is definitely TV show footage, not just dude with the camera there in-house. Yeah. Yeah. That did kind of stick out to me. Yeah. So from there, we get the opening credits. And the opening credits credits actually have quite a few shots from this episode in them. So we finally get to see a lot of that stuff in context for the first time. Um, Only for the rewatch, though. For the original watch, all we saw was the floating tuthead. Yes. When... When did the, was it season two or like, when did they actually change credits? Like in the first, the Showtime airing? Um, I can't remember. And I couldn't like find it anywhere online. I'm sure it's somewhere, but for some reason I couldn't find it. I am going to say it was between two and three. Okay. That would make sense since they had greenlit seasons one and two together. And then. Right. And, and, um, like, oh, for crap's sake, the Tokra is in there. Um, Sam standing on the ramp as, as, uh, Jolinar. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, so there's, there's some shots from season two in there. Okay. So yeah, it must've been, yeah, probably post season two then. Yeah. Mm. Well, when we come back from the opening credits, uh, there is a limo outside a very stately looking house and an older woman gets out. She heads in and greets her housekeeper who calls her Mrs. Langford. So this must be Catherine Langford from the movie who was the head of the Stargate program back then. And the housekeeper tells her that there's a young man waiting in the kitchen. And she's like, you let a young man into my house. And she's like, well, he said he knew you. So she goes into the kitchen and it's Daniel. And Catherine is very excited to see him. And they hug. And she's like, why? Wait, how are you here? You're supposed to be on Abydos. And he, like, kind of, like, dodges her questions about and is like, ew, you got the amulet. Great. It's so lovely to see you. And I'm going to not answer your question for uh, right now because that's a very 
awkward conversation. <laughs> or point out that you no longer have a German accent, which you did the last time I saw you. Yes. Oh, I didn't remember that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> different actresses and, you know, right. maybe she lost it in the last year. <laughs> year and a half. She lost her German accent. Teal gained a hole in his stomach. I mean, it was yeah. a whole thing. Yes. You know. Yeah. Um, so back at the SGC, it looks like Jack is sort of flipping through the files from the Pentagon that Daniel had left. And Hammond comes in and asks Jack where Daniel is because he's supposed to be giving a briefing to SG4. And Jack just says he hasn't seen Daniel in a while. So it's not like totally a lie, but it's just sort of a sneaky way to be like, I, you know. It's creative truth. It is. And apparently, another script note, that line from Jack was not in the original script. It was just Hammond asking where Daniel is, and Jack just kind of, like, looks at him, and then we, like, cut to the next scene. But I think the line from Jack was definitely a good addition, probably, like, you know, on the day as they were shooting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I almost kind of wonder if it came from RDA, because he's covering for Daniel. Yeah. With yeah. that, we, because we find out, you know, later that, He's lying through his teeth and he knows exactly where he is. Well, because that's why he doesn't say, I don't know where he is. He says he hasn't seen him in a while. Right. Which is probably true because. It's been a while since you left for Catherine's house. Yeah. He left a few hours ago. So it's been a while since Jack's seen him. Not a lie. No. Not Not at all. Not really answering the question that Hammond asked, but. Nope. Not a lie. So he's fine. (laughs) Nope. He's good. Yep. So. Back at Catherine's house, apparently Daniel has told her everything that's gone on with the Stargate program and why he's back. And he's apologizing for not telling her anything earlier, like when he came back, but military secrets, blah, 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 blah. And he counters with, well, you never told me about the experiments done in 1945. So why wasn't she made a part of the Stargate program? Because she's a girl. (gasps) And it was 1945. No, no, no. The new one. The new one. Oh, the new one. Uh, <laughs> I don't. Maybe she just was done with it by that point. I don't know. Well, she, then well, you think they would have asked her, and she would have. See, yeah, I don't know. I mean, she didn't think Daniel was dead. She knew he wasn't because Jack brought back the Eye of Raw to her. Yeah. I don't know. I'm assuming maybe after Jack and everybody came back in the movie, she was just like, okay, my mission's done. I'm good. I'm gonna go retire now. Is how I always kind of possible. She's filthy, stinking loaded. Yeah. So she doesn't really have much call to get mad at Daniel. No. Considering she didn't bother to stick around. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe, you know, she thought he would just pay her a friendly visit and not, you know, about the Stargate. Just like, hey, I'm home. Right. Who knows? Or it could have been that the the military just seized complete control of it, too. And, yeah, and just locked her out, possibly. Because Daniel's the only civilian in there for quite a while. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Many possibilities. One of them is probably the right answer, but they never tell us, so we don't know. Right. So we get to pick. We get to pick our own. There we go. On adventure. Yes. Which one makes sense for you? Right. Uh, The military was like, bye. Thanks. Thanks for all your hard work. Bye. We're I can see <laughs> Military, you're a bunch of jerks. Yes, I don't know yes. if I can speak in my normal speaking, so I will try to avoid my normal speaking. Oh no, you can you can swear. I Marcus is explicit when we swear. It's fine. 
Okay, good. They're a bunch of raging dick bags. <laughs> there you go. That works. <laughs> right. There's the answer. Okay. So getting back to why, you know, she never said anything about the experiments in 1945. She says just that her father was part of the team that headed up the research. And at the time, they didn't even know what it was. They were still thinking it was a weapon or could be used as a weapon. And she's like, well, why, why are you bringing this up now? Like, how do you know about this? Like, what's going on? And so he tells her that the Pentagon has been declassifying stuff and sent over a bunch of boxes. And Daniel seems, you know, surprised that... Catherine wasn't involved in the 1945 experiments and there's actually I think a little glitch in this conversation because I, like her exact words are like the the military didn't have much use for a 21 year old girl in 1945 but she can't be 21 in 1945 because the movie the the Stargate we covered in Giza in 1928 and we see her and she's probably like 10 or 11 years old so in 1945, she should have been in like her mid to late 30s. Mm. Well, like, you know, when she lost her German accent, she also lost <laughs> a few years. There we uh, go. Okay. <laughs> Took 10 years off her life too. Right? Yeah. You know, like you do. So, but then she mentions that the only things that she knew were the things she overheard uh, of conversations between her father and Ernest. And Daniel's like, who's Ernest? And then we get this kind of cool camera pan um, off of Catherine over to like the fireplace in that house. And it's Paul McGillian and a young Catherine who we now know Paul McGillian is playing Ernest um, just sort of sitting on the floor, all called all cuddled up together. And Ernest is describing like what happened with the experiments that day and how the room started shaking. And Catherine's like, are you gonna talk to my father? Because apparently they're in love, but they haven't told her father yet. Cause apparently that's maybe a little awkward because Ernest works for her father. And it's also, you know, 1945 and stuff like that's all weird. Um, so, but then Catherine then says that maybe it's supposed to shake and she suggests using a direct current instead of an alternating current, which Ernest thinks is a good idea. So she's like smart. She's not just, you know, a pretty face. She's actually really smart too, which we know because we've seen the movie. Um, I do have to say real quick that yeah. when she asks, have you talked to my father, that Ernest gives the most clueless nerd answer ever. Oh, yeah. He's like, well, yeah, he was there. He knows what happened. And she's like, N no, about, <laughs> not about the experiment, about us. Right. <laughs> Such yeah. a clueless geek. He is. And, but it's, it's just endearing and adorable somehow. It is. And it makes yeah. her laugh. So, yeah. yeah. She loves uh, her clueless geek. Yes. Don't we all? Yes. Yeah, we do. <laughs> so back in the present, uh, Catherine tells Daniel that she never knew that all of these files that the, that the Pentagon had even existed. Her father gave her all of his notes when he retired and she kind of assumed that's all that there was. And Daniel's like, so you don't know they turned it on. And she's like, huh? She's, yeah, completely floored, completely shocked that they turned it on because that should be something that her father like would celebrate or something. Right. Yeah, she should, she should have known somehow, even if not being told directly that that's what happened. So we then get a, another flashback to Ernest and Dr. Langford sort of sitting 
in their dining room talking about all of the symbols on the gate and what they mean. And Ernest seems to be the first to suggest that the symbols aren't just a combination lock, because I guess that's the theory they've been working with, because if it's just a combination lock, why are there 39 of them? That's a lot for just a combination lock. Why not only like five or six? He thinks that their destinations, Ernest for the win. Right. Yay. Turns out he's right. And Dr. Langford then counters that doorway to heaven could mean any number of things, even suggesting that anything that goes through the gate is instantly disintegrated, which I suppose that's one way to make a weapon, you know, make this portal that just disintegrates anybody or anything that gets shoved through it. I don't know, though. You could, That'd be a really hard sell of like, okay, we're going to make this giant doorway. We're going to get all of our enemies just to walk through what? it. We're going to put like, we're going to put like candy on the other end. <laughs> no, that, that's, that's when you get Bugs Bunny to set up. <laughs> it's like, make a line. The hidden wall. To... Yeah. That is like yeah. the world's worst donkey carrot set up, yeah. right? Yeah, yes. it really is. Um, You'd have to have some really dumb donkeys. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, there's a lot of dumb people out there, so who knows? Maybe it could have worked. It's possible. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, in the script, this is actually a slightly longer conversation, and it actually includes a comment from Ernest that sort of in rebuttal to the the stuff that goes through it could just get instantly disintegrated, that a radio transmitter they sent through continued, like, transmitting for 23 seconds before it disappeared. So they apparently didn't just turn it on. They actually sent stuff through too which is interesting Ooh. yeah it's then. like their own like the original melp right yeah yep yep so back in the present daniel pulls out the tape uh with the footage he was watching earlier and shows it to Catherine, and it sort of starts up actually before the diving helmet goes on the guy and this is where it's revealed that it's actually Ernest, who's in the diving suit who went through and it cuts to a flashback of Dr. Langford coming home and he's looking very solemn and sad. And instead of telling Catherine the truth about what happened, he tells her that there was an explosion in the lab and that Ernest died. And this scene is actually much longer in the script than like the two lines. It is here. Um, it actually includes like her actually getting like really angry at her father for not being able to or not wanting to tell her more specific stuff than it was just an accident and she's like the man I was going to marry is dead and she's very very angry at him and not just the sort of resigned sadness that we actually see in the episode which is nice I know I kind of, that's this is kind of one of the missing scenes I kind of wish we'd gotten the longer take of it a bit yeah I agree yeah. that would have been awesome yeah so back in the present, Catherine confirms that that man was Ernest, and she speculates that her father lied about Ernest dying in order to save her the heartbreak of him choosing his work over her, basically. And Daniel's like, I'm sure he assumed he would come back. And this is where we get Catherine telling us that Daniel reminded her a lot of Ernest when they first met. And... So then after learning who that guy is, that, you know, he's Ernest and he was her fiance, Daniel pulls out some photos and is like, I'm not supposed to show you this or any of it. And he was able to isolate 
the glyphs that were dialed from the footage and the coordinates are very similar to that of Abydos and they can go there. I love the way he says that. Yeah. And then here's actually, there's, here's another change in the script. There's actually a whole nother scene here between Catherine and Daniel before we cut back to the SGC. But this one, I'm, I'm kind of okay with it being cut out because in the end it doesn't really change anything. Um, but it's basically like Catherine doesn't want to go. She's like, I buried Ernest a long time ago. Like he's dead. I don't want to like dig all those feelings back up again. Like you need to just go and leave. But then he kind of Daniel basically talks her around by telling her, you know, you told me this was my Stargate, but it's actually your Stargate, not mine. Mm. And then she kind of gives in and they go back to the SGC, as we see in the next scene. Ooh, I'm glad they cut that out, so that yeah. because that scene makes it all about her, instead of like, oh my god, we can go see if he's still alive, and see if he wants to come home, and but yeah. instead her reaction is, I don't know if I want to dig up my old feeling. Oh yeah, I'm glad they didn't put that one in. Yeah, yeah, that makes her look like a giant ass. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we get some of that when, you know, they do show up on the planet, but it makes more sense for her to sort of have those feelings when she's actually confronted with him, like in person and his reaction to her too, rather than just this where it's sort of, it's not, I mean, it's not out of nowhere, but there's not really an impetus for it. I don't think as much as there is later in the show. Um, Yeah, I can see that. I mean, in, in reaction to, you know, he's being rescued and his response is, yeah. <laughs> that okay, was my favorite Aspen. part of the entire episode. It, it, it is. It's, it's hilarious. Um, but we're not quite there yet. So, no, no, no. no. Uh, okay. So we cut back to the SGC and Daniel and Catherine are in the briefing room and Hammond storms and he's like completely enraged at Daniel for revealing classified information to a civilian who started the Stargate program. Um so then Jack and Tilk enter and Jack greets Catherine very warmly and is like, Hammond's treating you okay, right? She's like, he seems worse than General West. And it's like, yeah, he's fine. And Hammond asks Jack if he authorized Daniel to tell Catherine what he ended up telling her. And Jack goes, absolutely not, sir. In fact, I advised him not to say anything to her, despite the fact that she's to run the entire program and is responsible, responsible for most of our current knowledge about the gate. Neener, so. neener. <laughs> and Hammond's like, yeah, I know who she is. And then we get Daniel introducing Tilk to Catherine, who she's very pleased to meet him because the alien being on alien Earth, she thing. must have been like, you know, completely mind blown. And here he is right in front of her. And uh, Hammond then asks Jack if he knows about the request that Daniel has made. And Jack just like looks at him for a moment. And uh, obviously Daniel, Daniel hasn't told him specifically anything probably since he got back, but Jack just looks at him and just knows exactly what Daniel wants to do. And, you know, he wants to go see if Ernest is still there and like bring him home if they can, because that's the kind of guy Daniel is. And Jack knows that. So well, well, and it should be the kind of person Jack is, too, because I mean, military yeah. mindset is no one gets left behind. I mean, yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, Jack is in, you know, complete support of what Daniel wants to do. So, 
so. But then we also get Sam coming in and she hugs Catherine and they apparently knew each other probably back when like the Stargate was still like at the Pentagon. And Sam has some very interesting news. This planet that Ernest went to is not on the Abydos cartouche, which means the ghouls have probably never been there. I like the reveal, but had, there has never been a more contrived relationship on this show than Sam and Catherine. Yeah. That was absolutely thrown in there for no particular reason. Because if she knows Sam, why doesn't she know General Hammond? Well, well that's a good point. Although, I mean, in Children of the Gods, when Sam is first brought in, it's her dialogue seems to indicate that she's been working on the Stargate program at least as long as Catherine has, like she should have been on that first mission to Abydos, she says, whereas Hammond just came in after General West had left, which is also presumably after Catherine left. They also shoehorned Sam into the show in the first place. Yeah. Like she could have been brought in, I think in a better way than that. Yes, absolutely. Mission to Abydos. Like why not just have her be a super smart scientist who they think would just be an asset to the team period. Right. They didn't need, they, they didn't need the Mary Sue, super Sam reproductive organs nonsense. Yeah. Oh, that was terrible. Yeah. Yeah. That was a horrible line. The worst line ever. So, but so since the Gould have probably never been there, this means a couple things. A, it would be proof that the Gould did not in fact build the Stargate system and are just using it from whatever being did create it. And also there may be some sort of weapons or technology there that we could use them against them, as Tilk says. And then there's a little funny exchange where Catherine goes, ah, you speak. And Tilk goes, when it is appropriate. I and love Tilk. I do too. He's, he can be quite funny when he wants to be. <laughs> if you don't like Tilk, I don't know what's wrong with you. Right. Yeah. Get off this podcast. <laughs> yeah. No, don't um, get off this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm gonna chase off your listeners. Ignore no, me. please stay. Please stay. We love please you. Stay. We love everybody. Thank you. You please. stay. I leave. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, um, so General General Hammond thanks everybody for their input, but apparently, just Daniel's argument that Ernest might still be there is enough for him to give this mission a go, and Catherine's gonna go with him. So. I love how that has happened more than once, where like there's this whole everybody's talking, everybody's talking, everybody's, and Hammond's just like, you had me at hello. <laughs> That, that, yeah, that does happen Jack, quite a bit. complete me. <laughs> Although it's usually Daniel's argument, it seems. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was the Daniel, one. you complete me. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> so we're off on our next mission. Um, we cut to the gate room where uh, Tilk and Sam are taking the Fred through the gate. And then Daniel and Jack, very gentlemanly, like, like sort of hold Catherine's hands as they jump through the gate for the first time for her. So on the other side, the gate is in a very large stone room. There's like dust falling from the ceiling and there's looks like large rocks have been knocked over, possibly some sort of like fallen pillars. And Daniel comments that it's very hot and there's just sort of general creaking. And this place is obviously in some sort of disrepair. And there's a couple doorways, but no obvious way in or out of like the structure as a whole right now. And everybody's just kind of looking around when Sam suddenly goes, oh, my, and like turns her head away. And the camera follows Daniel as he turns to look and there's a naked man standing in a doorway. Yep. Uh, yep. Just old naked man. 
Um, so he comes forward into the light and he's quite old, you know, bald. Daniel asks if he's earnest and Ernest comes closer and Daniel introduces himself and that they've just come through the Stargate, which Ernest would have known as the doorway to heaven. So Daniel's like, yes, that, that thing, that's the Stargate. And Ernest kind of like pokes him in the chest. Like, are, are you like really here? And Daniel's like, yes, I'm really here. And Ernest breaks down crying and like just hugs Daniel and says it's about time. And like, I get a little teary at this because this man has been alone on this planet for like 50 years. Like it was cute. Oh, heartbreaking. Mm. Um, so fun fact, the actor who plays Ernest here, his name is Keen Curtis. I first recognized him from the movie IQ where he played Eisenhower. Does anybody else remember that movie with Tim Robbins? I never watched I never watched that one. It's I don't think so I did either. Adorable. It's Tim Robbins and Meg Ryan and Walter Matthau plays Albert uh, Albert Einstein and Kath, uh, Meg Ryan plays his niece Catherine and it's oh it's so it's it's one of those just like feel good movies we can just like turn it on on like a rainy Saturday afternoon with like a cup of hot cocoa and just like snuggle up and like have a good time. Ooh, I like those. Do they actually have like good chemistry? They do. They're very Aww, cute together. Okay. Yeah. I always wondered about that one because yeah. I know and about that movie. I just never watched it. Yeah. And she's very much kind of a woman out of her time a bit where she's very like she's like as smart as Albert is and like knows what she wants and like goes for it. And she's actually like engaged to Stephen Fry at the beginning of the movie when it starts. But he's just kind of a pompous British British ass. Um <laughs> And Tim Robbins just plays like a mechanic who's actually kind of smart, but like different smart than like the book smart she is. But oh, so I like those kind of movies. Yeah. So it's, it's a bit opposite to Tract, but they, you know, very much get along. And yeah, it's very adorable. Um, that sounds so, good. If I ever watch anything other than Cobra Kai, I will have to maybe take you up on that. Put it on your list. It's, a, it's you know, it's just a watch it during the commercials. Yeah. It's on Netflix. <laughs> Unless it doesn't have commercials anymore. But it's like, it's one of those like, you know, you know, mid-level costing like 90s rom-coms. It's like, you know, a hundred minutes or something. It's like not that long, but it's very much worth the time. Um, but so King Curtis was actually discovered by Orson Welles when Wells was directing a college production of Macbeth that he was in. And then Orson cast him in the film adaptation that he did of Macbeth in 1948. And that basically like launched his acting career. Um, He also had a very extensive Broadway career. Um, He was Daddy Warbucks and Annie for a while. And he won the Tony in 1971 for Best Featured Actor in a Musical for playing four different characters, each with a different accent, in a musical called The Rothschilds that I have never heard of. But really? Yes. Huh. Um, he sadly he passed away back in 2002 from complications due to Alzheimer and fuck Alzheimer's. It's a terrible oh, disease and I hate it. Yes. If you go look at his IMDb, he's been in like everything. Definitely like check him out, check out his stuff cuz he's he's very good. So discovered by Orson Welles. Yep. Damn. That's pretty neat. Yep. Um, so also here in the script, Ernest's entrance is actually quite a bit different. Um, the, the script describes the sort of doorway that he's standing in is actually like covered over with like a piece of flooring, possibly to act as like a door. And Ernest like 
pushes it open to reveal himself. And he's actually described as having like long wild hair and holding a wooden staff still naked though. Um, but just the physical appearance is a little different in the script, but I think what happens here works just fine. Oh, I love the naked introduction and the awkward naked hugs. Yes. Um, So then, yeah. So then after he hugs Daniel, he then hugs Jack who's standing right next to Daniel. He tries to like go hug like Sam, but Sam's like, Nope. And like moves herself away. So he hugs Tilk and then (laughs) Daniel kind of gets his attention and points to Catherine who's still standing like up near the gate and she's like, you don't recognize me, do you? And he, like, stumbles out, Catherine? Like, is that, you? are you here too? Oh, my God. And then just goes, hmm, and walks away. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just, it's such, like, a 180 from this very touching, loving, tender moment of this man who's been alone, and they're suddenly people, and then just, hmm, and off he goes. Right, <laughs> like, screw you. Too. Yeah, and they're like, Okay, so, you know, Daniel goes after him, who's probably, you know, the best choice to go after him in this situation. And then we get a really cool, like, map painting of what this place actually looks like from the exterior. And it's this, like, huge palace kind of thing that's literally on the edge of a cliff and it's starting to wear away. We can see one part where, like, the floor is completely missing and probably, you know, a few meters high up into the structure of completely fallen down and washed away so this place is not in good shape at all and like the waves in the ocean are quite rocky and it looks like cloudy and stormy so they should probably not stick around too long if they can't so then we cut back to daniel walking down the stairs like touching the wall in a shot that has been used and i don't even know how many fan videos i've probably used it myself a few times because it's a very just beautiful shot of daniel I used it four times in one three-second passage in the same video. <laughs> it's a good shot. It's a good shot. Well, and it fits with the Carpenter's singing. I mean, it just does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he finds Ernest down there who's, like, still naked. And he kind of doesn't really seem to realize that he is naked. And that he should probably put some clothes on because he's, like, just been alone for so long mm-hmm. and he like goes to put on what just looks like the the diving suit that's been just sort of ripped and torn and worn down over the years and he actually like hesitantly then hands Daniel some kind of food thing because he tells him to like eat it like I don't know maybe a mushroom of some kind I don't know um in the script this is described as being a large gray fruit that he plucks off of a tree yeah. um and then there's also a scene a bit later where he shows Daniel, like, how to eat it. Like, he, like you, like, rip it open and there's this, like, goo on the inside. So, yeah. And yeah. There's no that. tree. <laughs> there's no, no tree there's, in there. There's actually, no. a, like, a line in the script where Daniel goes, this grows without light. So, I don't know. But, um, I mean. Of course this it does. Works. It's why it's gray. Yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely not green. But, you know, this works fine. So we cut back to the gate room where Catherine and Sam are talking and they're, you know, trying to come to terms with like what's happening and that like he's actually here. He was so close and yet so far away. And, you know, it's quite the shock for her as it is for him. And we cut back to Ernest, who's showing Daniel some pages from a journal. And Daniel's like, is this a calendar? So apparently Ernest has been tracking his time and there's a lot of pages 
to this calendar. And Daniel asks if Ernest ever figured out who lived here or who built it. And Ernest just says Heliopolis. And so Daniel goes, I assume you mean the ancient Egyptian city. People would come from everywhere to gather scholars, community, community leaders. It was also the central place of worship for Ra. So do you want some information about Heliopolis? Because I did some research if you're interested. Or we can just move on. Sure. Let's do it. So uh, Heliopolis was a major city of ancient Egypt. Um, It's been occupied since the pre-dynastic period. And it greatly then expanded under the old old and middle kingdoms. But today it's mostly destroyed as its temples and buildings have actually been scavenged over the centuries for the construction of Cairo. And actually uh, there's still like original stones from Heliopolis in the walls around Cairo, which is pretty cool. Um, So the major, the major surviving remnant of Heliopolis though, is the obelisk of the temple of Ra Atum erected by Sen. Get it out. (laughs) <laughs> erected by Senesret I of the 12th dynasty. It still stands in its original position, which is now within Al-Masala in Al-Mataria in Cairo. It's 21 meters high, and it's made out of red granite, and it weighs 120 tons, which is 240,000 pounds. Uh, the name Heliopolis. And they moved it. No, it's still in its it's still in its original place. Oh, okay. Well, no, they okay. didn't move it. Uh, okay, okay. I missed yeah. that. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um. So Heliopolis means basically city of the sun, with Helios being the personified and deified deified form of the sun, and this Helios was identified by the Greeks with the native Egyptian gods Ra and Atum whose principal cult was located in the city. And the city also appears in the Old Kingdom pyramid texts, but referred to as the House of Ra. So as Daniel said, Heliopolis was a great gathering place all throughout history. Like people like Orpheus, Homer, Pythagoras, and Plato went there. People like Ptolemy and Herodotus went there. Um, but eventually... Herodotus. Herodi- sorry, Herodotus. <laughs> He's... Uh, Language. That's the, no, notice that's the only thing I've corrected you on because that's the only name I actually know. <laughs> um, so, but eventually it was eclipsed by Alexandria as the, sort of the center of learning and knowledge. And basically by the first century BC, it was deserted except for the priests. And so, yeah, it's still basically deserted. But for a while, it was basically the center of learning and knowledge of the civilized world at that point. And actually, um, Alexander the Great stopped through there on his great march to Memphis. So, yeah, it was it was kind of the place to be at the time when it was in its heyday. So what would that be like today? What is what is the center of all knowledge and learning today? I don't think that Yahoo. <laughs> the way. <laughs> Well, they shut down Yahoo Answers, so I don't know if that's true anymore. Reddit? I don't know. It's <laughs> I don't think it's a city anymore, really, unfortunately. Yeah, no, I, I don't I don't know. I yeah. mean, what would be that the human race has gotten so stupid? Do we even yeah. have a center? Do we, I don't know, do we, like 
Oxford, maybe? That's like a good contender. Oxford is a good one, actually. That's all I can think of. I don't know. So that's Heliopolis. And so back to the show. So since Daniel's like, you know, this was the city of Ra, he's like, are there any Egyptian hieroglyphs here? Because it would be very important if there were. And uh, Ernest walks over to his bedding and pulls out a journal and Daniel reads from it. Four distinct languages. Writing is unlike anything I have seen on Earth. Catherine says they're probably alien. So apparently uh, Ernest's way of coping was to imagine that Catherine was there with him. And uh, Daniel sort of continues narrating the journal about Catherine's time there with Ernest. And we pan around to see Ernest sort of with tears in his eyes as Daniel talks about their time together. And we sort of pull back a bit to see Catherine standing behind him. And she just says that her father lied to her. And Daniel's like, I'm going to, I'm going to go. You two, I'm going to, you, you guys talk about, I'm going to, I'm going to go for a little bit. Good boy, Um, Daniel. Yes, very, very, very good. And Ernest sort of tries to implore Catherine that, you know, we had a wonderful life together and you forgave me. And she's like, I didn't. You were dead to me. There was no one to forgive anything for because as far as I knew, you didn't do anything wrong. And it's, this is the scene that makes sense to me rather than, you know, her back in her kitchen on earth like this. This makes sense. Yeah, to, this one makes a lot more sense. Yeah. And you know what I noticed, too, though, is is the way he said, we had a wonderful life together, it means that at present, he's not imagining her anymore. Yeah, I kind of wonder, like, when he gave that up. Yeah. Oh, that's actually a very good point. Yeah. Like, he killed her in his head. Yeah, yeah. Or, or decided, I don't, I don't need you anymore to cope with being here or at some point in time he stopped doing that because he said we had a wonderful life yeah oh my god that's depressing (laughs) right i never thought of it like that (laughs) i just thought he was saying like we we have had a wonderful life together so far that we're going to continue having together forever and ever and okay no my dreams are shattered i'm sorry (laughs) You're Rachel, welcome. You should apologize. No. <laughs> no. You apologize, Rachel. <laughs> apologize for breaking her heart. You're welcome. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, um, back in the gate room, Jack and Till come back from probably exploring this. And um, Daniel reveals that Ernest has probably been alone since he got here. And they're all like, wait, what? Like, that is... How I I I wouldn't even know how to begin. To they start counting on their fingers. Yeah. One, it would. <laughs> oh no! This Blood. is when Jack's still smart. This is when he was still the astronomer yes. with the master's degree. Ah yes. Um. So Ernest and Catherine come walking back in together as Tilk comments that there's a storm coming. And apparently, according to Ernest, this is a storm that comes every year. And Jack comments that it's going to be a really big one. And with the state this place is in, they need to get home before something like really bad happens. Daniel's like, we need to like he doesn't want to go because you know, the stuff that he's been reading in Ernest's journal and these like four languages, but and who knows even what this place is. And Jack's like, we've launched a survey balloon. We'll go back. We'll keep an eye on the situation. And we'll come back when the storm has passed. And Daniel kind of like reluctantly gives in. And so they go up to the DVD 
the DVD. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Just because that's how we watch the show doesn't mean that's how they watch the show. Um, They go up to the DHD because Daniel started to, like, just tell Ernest how that thing works because they're like, didn't you ever try to, you know, leave here? And Jack's like, let's just go show him how it works. So they go up to the DHD and it's completely broken. Like the whole center control crystal is busted. And Ernest says it was like that when he got here. So that explains why he never tried to go back because he couldn't because the thing doesn't work. And uh, actually in this whole conversation of explaining the DHD, there's actually a slightly longer conversation in the script in the script about how there's a whole Stargate system and that there's there's like gates all over the galaxy, not just like this one and the one on earth, which is kind of cool, but you know, not really necessary. So I think that was fine to cut out, but yeah, you can tell him that once you get his naked butt home. Yeah. So, but basically um, how are they going to get home now? Because the DHD is busted. Do you ever watch that scene and imagine like what it would have been like if it was completely fine and all they did was like push all the buttons and Ernest was just like, son of a bitch. <laughs> they mean, that's all I had to do. Um, I can imagine that because honestly, I mean, they turned it by hand. Yeah. They charged it basically with jumper cables and yeah. turned it by hand. So he yeah, wouldn't have known what a DHD was anyway. No. Or what the combination was. Yeah, that's the other thing. He doesn't right. know. What's, what's, what's Helios, yeah. uh, the Helios, the Helios, had that. Hematoma. <laughs> <laughs> what's Hamburglar's uh, <laughs> point of origin? See? Yes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. What, uh, what, what are they going to do? Um, so... We cut to a bit later and Daniel and Jack are kind of cleaning up. It looks like they're kind of maybe standing some pillars back up to try and like brace the ceiling a little bit in case they're stuck here for a while, like while the storm is going on. And we see Sam and Tilk working on the DHD. Ernest is like, well, since we're going to be here for a little while, let me show you something and takes Daniel like back with him and Catherine and Jack then follow In the script, there's actually kind of an interesting scene here before Ernest leads Daniel away between Ernest and Catherine, who they're looking through his journal and sort of discussing his notes about the storm. And over the time that Ernest has been here, the storm has been coming earlier and earlier in the year and also then sort of more frequently, like the time between storms is getting shorter. So Catherine is able to figure out that... the storm is sort of due to the planet's position relative to the sun. So the closer the planet is to the sun, the stronger the storm is due to the, basically the effect of gravity of the sun on the planet. So since the storms are coming earlier and more frequently, either the sun's mass is growing or the planet's orbit is decaying. So basically eventually this planet is going to be crashing into the sun. That ain't good. Oh. Yeah, which I'm like, that's interesting. Why didn't we learn about that? I mean, it ends up not, like, meaning anything, but it's, you know, interesting. Uh, yeah, it could, especially if this is in the back of Jack's mind. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, planets crashing into suns usually take hundreds of thousands of years. That's true. You know? That's true. And he does, I mean, it is hot, right? Yeah. Daniel does mention that it's super hot. 
So there is that. It's getting closer, but they don't incinerate the second they walk through the gate. So right. I guess that's a good sign, too. Yeah. Okay. So they're not that close yet. They're not. Right. Yeah. Not yet. But they're getting there, apparently. So Ernest take, t- takes Daniel back to the room that they were in before. And Ernest removes this, like, scrap of cloth that was been covering this device. And panels light up around it. And also panels um, around them with writings in alien languages light up around them. Um, do we want to spoil for the audience what these four languages are? Or do we want to save that for the episode where we actually learn about these guys? Save it. Okay. Uh, okay. But we do, I think, as Earth humans would recognize that one of the panels has, like, Norse runes on it. That's one of them. And then there's three other alien languages. And Ernest hands Daniel his journal, and he points to a specific passage of which Daniel reads, I believe this room is some sort of meeting place where four alien races denoted by the symbols and distinctive writing on the walls would gather, possibly to share knowledge or discuss relations like a United Nations of the Stars. Catherine agrees. Do you find it weird that Ernest isn't actually explaining this to him? He's making Daniel read passages of his own journal? That he doesn't just take him in the room and he's like, this is the room I think must be some sort of meeting place. But instead he's just like, meh, here, read this. Um, I, I, I think they could explain it away as it's just been so long since he's had normal conversations with people. He may not know how anymore or possibly just a matter of um, he's not entirely sure his voice is going to work. Yeah. Or also it's been so long since he wrote these notes. Is he going to remember everything he thought 50 years ago? Well, I mean, he knows it's there. Right. Right. I mean, I, it would make sense to remember, oh, I wrote notes about this. What are the notes that I wrote? I don't know. You oh, know, that's that true. That's true. That's true. I could see that. Yep. Yeah. yeah. All right. That worked. Okay. So there's- Are we many... fan wanking right now? Are we? I think we're fan wanking. Possibly. I mean, but that's what we do. We're fangirls. That's what we do. Right. We fan wank things. Yes. Um, so there is-, is- Wait, 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 wait. What is fan wanking? <laughs> Bree, do you want to take this one? What? <laughs> It's your show. So fan wanking is, it's basically just theorizing now where you take some sort of aspect of canon that's not really explicitly explained and figure out how to make it make sense to you, the fan. Like how we fit Teal'c having um, a, a, um, a womb a pouch. Uh, we fit Teal'c's pouch and Junior actually into the same universe as the movie. We fan-wanked why Raw looked so much different. Than Which we actually it, talked about a couple weeks ago. We think we, we, we yeah, come up, yeah. come up with a theory for that. Yeah. Cool. yeah. Yeah. It used to be known as fan-wanking. It's not really so much anymore, but... Once oh, time. Old, so I still say it. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Once so they're just making time. up things that make sense to us. Yeah, this is how it is in our minds. Yes, to make the universes, to make the universe work together, make sense, um, try to cover plot holes that you know they left in accidentally, things like that. Oh, I didn't know there was an official term for what we've been doing the whole time. (laughs) Yeah, I'd kind of forgotten about it until Brie said, and then Brie, as soon as you said, I was like, oh my god, that's what it's called. That's right. Uh, Otherwise known as making shit up. Yep. (laughs) Love it. Yeah. Uh, so here's maybe another thing we need to fan wank. 
Um, so Ernest in his journal calls it the United Nations of the Stars. So the flashbacks take place in 1945. Mm -hmm. The United Nations wasn't known as the United Nations until October 24th, 1945. And even Mm -hmm. like after that, it didn't sort of colloquially become known as the United Nations for like a few more years. So Ernest should have called it like the League of Nations of the Stars. Because that's what he would have known it as at the time that he left Earth. We'll just say that he's super in tune with current events and it all happened in December of 1945. Yeah. I mean, they had a fire going. Yeah. Because, yeah, we don't have a date in 1945 as to when all the 1945 stuff happened in the show. It's just 1945. And I couldn't find one online to where anybody had maybe made one up that made sense. So, yeah, the only thing we know is 1945. So I would say fall or winter makes sense yeah. because they have the fire. And when her dad comes home, he's taking off his coat but before he said, walks in the hallway. But then again, I mean, you could like say February, January, February 1945. But then Ernest doesn't know about the United Nations. Ah-ha-ha. So, yeah, I don't know. It looks kind of Thanksgiving giving the ish. It always okay. does in the 40s. Just, <laughs> right? It always looks like Thanksgiving in the 40s. <laughs> always. All For 40s flashbacks just look like it could take place at Thanksgiving at any time. And I'm quite certain that it was customary in 1945 for women to have turkeys ready to go for company <laughs> at any given time anyway. Right. Yeah, true. Yeah. Okay. Actually, so, you're probably not that far off. <laughs> <laughs> or at least a turkey casserole. Chicken a la king. A tetrazzini. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm hungry. <laughs> uh, all right. So um, back on Ernest Planet in the gate room, um, Sam and Tilk are making some headway on the DHD and they sort of identified, you know, what crystals do what. And the power crystal, the power source is busted. So Sam wants to try hooking up a power source directly to the gates so they can dial out manually like they did in 1945, which seems like a good plan to start with, because if you can't get the DHD to power the gate, you need something to power the gate. So just get power to the gate and then you can dial it and you'll be fine. So um, back with Ernest, Jack comments that the device that he pulled the cover off of looks familiar. And it actually, it kind of looks like that thing from the first commandment that made the force field. So apparently this is just some sort of general uh, ancient design that was used for lots of devices that they built, apparently. Or the prop crew was just like, hey, let's just reuse should, that thing. We should, we should just reuse this. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just make it tall and skinny and no one will notice. Yes. yes. Um, but then Ernest tells Jack to touch it. So he does and like a light shoots up and starts displaying like holograms of large spheres surrounded by smaller spheres and everybody's like ooh at the pretty light show and then jack points at one and goes that looks familiar and Catherine's like yep high school chemistry these are atoms which is like really cool and daniel comments that the number of electrons determines the element which it's it's actually like the protons daniel but you know good try i mean electrons kind of do but it's mostly the protons um 
He's and a history nerd. What the I hell know. does he know? Yeah. He tried. He tried. I love my baby, but sometimes he's so stupid. I know. I mean, he wasn't totally far off, but he wasn't exactly right either. Right. Um, and so uh, Ernest says that there are 146 of them. When this episode aired, there were only 111, as they said, which there's 118 now. And there were only 90 at the time Ernest last, like, saw a periodic table. Um, so there's actually a little flub here. Uh, the script actually called for Ernest to say that there are 164. Um, and then Michael Shanks sort of remembered that Keen Curtis had flubbed that. And so when Daniel says it again later, he also corrected it and said 146 instead of 164 for continuity's sake, just in case they ended up using that take, I guess. Although why they didn't just like reshoot it with him saying the right number. I don't know. Probably because it doesn't really matter. It's just a big number. Right. Um, but it's like. They good. asked him to do a reshoot and he was like, meh, I said what I said. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. I just he thought went, it was. Huh. And stormed off in his nakedness. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I just thought it was interesting that Michael remembered that he said it wrong. So then that he could say it wrong too. So that they matched. Well, I was like, yeah, I was just like, that's cool. Um, so um, Catherine makes a comment about, you know, the fact that we've only begun to sort of speculate on what the actual appearance and structure of an atom is. And the fact that these alien races like visualized it the same way is really cool. And then Daniel starts his sort of like brain rambling of like, he gets, how, how do you ensure true universal communication? You break down communication to the basic building blocks of everything in the universe. So apparently this is a true universal language. And Ernest then tells Daniel to turn the page. And Daniel's like, what? So Ernest goes and touches the device again, and another beam of light shoots out, and the atoms rearrange themselves again. And so this is a book of some kind. And Ernest says that he tried to translate it, but he couldn't. And Daniel sort of rambles for a bit about, you know, are these letters or are they pictographs? And it would take a lifetime to translate it. And Ernest goes, more. Daniel's like, yeah, whoops, sorry, yeah. He steps in it. Sorry. But, you know, he's all excited and, you know, geeking out over things and stuff. So, you know. So Jax, you know, kind of tries to, like, bring Daniel back, you know, to the current situation. That Like, this is really cool, but trying to understand this won't mean anything if we can't get home. We kind of got a bigger problem right now than you trying to translate whatever this thing is. Uh, so back in the gate room, there's wires that are hooked up to like the Fred and the Malp connecting them to the gate and Jack and Catherine come back in to check in on how things are going. And Sam's just about ready to run the first test. And there's like this very ominous creaking sound and Jack's like, you want to like hurry up a little bit. So she plays with some wires and flicks a switch probably somewhere and power surges and the gate lights up and Catherine's like, it works. And then it turns off and it didn't really work, unfortunately. And then there's like this loud crack and Jack pulls Sam out of the way. And there's like the ceiling has fallen down. And as the dust clears, we look over and the DHD is apparently now in the bottom of the ocean. Rocks fall. No one dies. Yeah. I mean, nobody dies. That's good. But the DHD is completely gone. So fuck. Not good. 
<laughs> yeah, what? not good. Not good, no. So back in the library, Daniel's looking at that one panel that has the Norse runes, and Daniel points to one and says, Othala, the Norse rune thought to represent the collection of numerous power and knowledge from past generations. And Ernest adds that it also symbolizes the gathering of clans to celebrate a common interest. And so Ernest then comments that this must mean that, like, humans were here centuries ago. And Daniel's like, uh, nah, actually, no. Thor was an alien, so this is, like, Thor's language, not Earth humans. Sorry. But this is a good story. He'll get later. It's a cool story. We'll get to it, but sorry. Right. Just like just not right now. We're busy. Not right now. We'll get to it later. Um, so back in the gate room, Jack's like full, like commander mode, like, all right, basic survival training. We know what we have. What do we need? And then we get Tilt going, we have the Stargate. We need the dial home device. <laughs> thank, thank you. Tilt. Thank you. Captain yes. obvious. Thank you. Captain obvious. Um, then we get a little bit from Carter about more specifics about how the gate actually works. Um, apparently, the element that the gate is made up of stores the energy directly. And then the ring only spins once there's sort of enough reserve power that has been stored. So they need energy, which, okay, let's get energy, but there's no outlets anywhere. So where are they going to get energy from? Uh. Um, back in the library, Daniel's trying to get like video of the, the book, quote unquote, but the camera doesn't really allow for perspective that would be needed to understand like what it's like saying. And then everybody else comes back into the library and like breaks the news that the DHD fell through the floor and that that device probably has a power source in it and they kind of need it because it's the only way they know to make the gate work. And Daniel's like, no, no, you can't. No, no, I'm not like even anywhere near done with this thing. Uh, what about Tilk Staff Weapon? Tilk Staff Weapon's like not powerful enough. Like, Daniel, sorry, but we we, we need to get inside this thing. And so Daniel's like, oh, oh, fine, okay, fine, shoot it. Which apparently their solution to open it is to fire their staff weapon at it, which not I good. Would, I'm like, how is, you're not even going to like look for a hatch to open it. You're just going to shoot it with a powerful <laughs> weapon. Like, wouldn't that yeah. just blow it up? Like, I know. I mean, maybe like shoot for the floor or something, but like, no, they just shoot at it directly. And besides, how many times have they been involved in firefights and literally seen staff weapon fire bounce off the DHD? Do yeah. they not think this is going to do the same thing? Apparently not, because Tilk fires a staff weapon and then nothing happens. Right. So, I mean, good, good for Daniel, but... Boo for everybody Bad for else. The plan. Bad for the plan because now what? And then there's like a crack of thunder, and Jack's like, I'm not really a scientist, but what about that like Benjamin Franklin thing? <laughs> I do like and, that. Just the yeah. logic of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, it gets back. Oh, I can't say that yet because <laughs> that's freaking season four. Well, we are a rewatch podcast, so there are spoilers that we do mention in future episodes. Jack is the one that's dumb enough to think of the simple answer. Yes. Yes. And that, that does come back a few times in future episodes. Yes. Where humans are dumb. Therefore are aliens dumb. need us, but um, he's still not dumb. I mean, no. Jack at this point is super smart. Yeah. 
you have to have a master's to be a colonel in the United yeah. States Air Force. Yeah. So he has a master's in something. Probably like history or maybe astronomy. Military history or I was thinking or like, you know, stuff like something like that. Yeah. yeah. But because he sure don't know nothing about history when he gets talking to it, you know, with Daniel. That's true. <laughs> but he does, you know, have the telescope and stuff. So. Right. Maybe astronomy. But, you know, Sam agrees that like, you know, the lightning thing might work if they can, you know, rig something up on the roof to like channel a lightning strike rather than trying to get lightning to directly strike the Stargate because that would be bad. But there's still a possibility that even filter, I don't know, directing a lightning strike to the gate could still just like destroy it. So, but they kind of like don't have any other options. So we cut to some time later and apparently Tilk is up on the roof because Jack's like grabbing a wire that he's apparently tossed down and he and Sam are working on like hooking up wires and Ernest is looking around for something and Catherine comes back and tells Ernest that Daniel won't come up and Ernest goes, mm, the torment of Tantalus. And Catherine goes, what? Ernest goes, Tantalus was a king in Greek mythology, banished to Hades, forced to stand in water that receded when he tried to drink. Catherine goes, Everlasting, unending temptation. Ernest goes, he was reaching for something that was out of reach. So here's where we get the name of the episode from. And yeah, this makes sense. Like Daniel, at this point, is Tantalus in this situation. And fun fact, Tantalus is the father of Pelops, the Greek god from, do you remember what episode? Anybody? Nope. Brief candle. I yeah, I was going to say, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. I couldn't, I, I needed a minute to think of the name, oh, but I'm like, Jack gets old and Daniel yes. delivers a baby. Yep. Brief candle. <laughs> so here we have, I think this is the first possibly only time we've ever had the sort of like father and son God mentioned on mm-hmm. the show. I can't at least think of anything off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Yeah, so, but we don't know if Tantalus was ever a go- uh, uh, no. No. I mean, I would imagine he probably was, given <laughs> since Pelops <everything>. exists. <laughs> given the fact that Pelops exists, Tantalus probably exists. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyway. Um, so, Ernest then basically, like, apologizes to Catherine for leaving her, and he or she does finally forgive him. Like, you've suffered long enough. Let's move forward. And he looks down and, like, spots his diving helmet. And apparently this is what he was looking for. And he tells Catherine that this needs to go up on the roof. And she's like, okay, you go, like, get Daniel. I'll get this where it needs to go. You go get Daniel. So Ernest tries to convince Daniel that we you need to leave. We have to go now. And Daniel's like, just come get me once the gate is, like, actually up and running. Like, he is not leaving and Ernest is like there's no knowledge is worth it if you can't share it trust me I know like Ernest has a point here like you translating and deciphering this is amazing but if you can't tell anybody what's the point what's the point yeah yeah so true it is very true um so back in the gate room everybody's just kind of standing around waiting for you know, lightning, when we get a lightning strike and we see it on the outside hit like, you know, the diving helmet and the stuff that they've rigged up on the roof. And we see it sort of traveling down the wires and it charges at the gate. The gate is like on and sounds like Tilk start dialing now. Let's go. So we see Tilk 
starting to dial and Jack runs out of the room and Daniel and Ernest are still arguing when Jack comes down to get them. And he sort of sends Ernest away and Jack's like, I'm staying. And Jack's like, no, like you're not. And like tries to like bodily shove Daniel up the stairs. And he's like, I can't take the risk of not being able to come back. And Jack's like, what if this place falls into the ocean? And Daniel's like, I'm going to take that risk. And Daniel's like, I'm not taking that risk. And like shoves him up the stairs. And Daniel yells at Jack and says, please. And then Jack like lets him go. And Daniel goes back to the pedestal, looks at it, looks up, and then grabs Ernest's journal and finally follows Jack up the stairs. Daniel's leaving. It's fine. They They are so in love. (laughs) Yeah, maybe a little bit. A little bit. I thought that whole thing was kind of out of character at this point for Daniel. Like, to be like, no, 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 I'm going to die for this. It's fine. I don't, I mean, yes, but no, I couldn't. I thought it was weird. Um, I kind of agree a little bit because it's like he's, um, you know, we're okay, Daniel, we're like three months in and you are already abandoning your search for your wife who you love more than anything in the world because the pretty lights. Yeah. yeah, why didn't yeah. he bring that up here as a way to get Daniel to leave? Like, Shari is still out there. Remember why why we're doing all of this, Shari? I thought that was kind of odd that, you know, that didn't come up. In the because interview. he didn't want him to come home for Shari. He wanted him to come home for him. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, I have no idea. I've always wondered the same. Like, why doesn't yeah. he just go, yo, dude, wife? Yeah. Wife. Yeah. So... But Daniel's going, Jack's going, back in the gate room, the gate is open, the wormhole's been established, Catherine grabs Ernest's hand so they can go through together, and then... Piece of cake. Piece of cake. (laughs) And he's like, not from what I remember now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Then Jack and Daniel come running in as, like, and Jack yells at Sam to go, and then, like, the ceiling, like, kind of collapses on top of Jack and Daniel, but luckily just sort of behind them. And they're fine. And then they run up the stairs and there's again another big rumble and like a big sort of beam falls. But luckily it manages to fall in such a way where one end is still up in the ceiling and one end is down on the floor and it misses both Jack and Daniel and the gate. And they we have a quick cut back to the SGCs. Everybody's like waiting for Jack and Daniel to come through and the wormholes like flickering as it starts like destabilizing and in the script there's a brief exchange here between Tilkin and Ernest in the gate room and Ernest is like my god I've been gone a long time and Tilk goes wait until you see television <laughs> <laughs> which while funny not really necessary so that's fine so oh, but it makes sense because of him sitting in his room watching all the news reports and stuff yeah. from from uh, enemy within yeah yeah. It freaked the hell out of him. He was like, this, your, your world's more dangerous than mine, people. Yep. So back on the planet, Jack and Daniel get up, dive through the gate, and like right as they come through on the other side, the gate cuts out. And they made it. Everybody's back home safe on Earth. Flying Jack and Daniel tumbling down the ramp, one of the most iconic like yes. images overused over and over and over. Of course, that could be also 10 years worth of watching it on the credits. Yes, that too. Yes. yes. 
So then like a day or so later, some unspecified time later, um, we're back in the control room and like Ernest and Catherine and Jack and Daniel are there as the gate is dialing. Um, but Chevron seven won't lock, um, which is interesting because in the script, it actually says Chevron seven does lock, but then nothing happens. So does lock will not engage. Yeah. Something which like is that. What? Yeah the chevron usually does if there's nothing on the other end you lock it in on your end but it won't engage it won't light up yeah because there's nothing to connect to yeah so i'm not sure why that change or what that change really means but the same reason teal stops calling daniel daniel they just thought it made more sense yeah it's still season one they're still working things out so but basically the gate on the other side is probably gone The planet is now, like, lost to them. But they have Ernest's book, and Sam is working on a computer model of some of the information. And Ernest goes, look at it this way. If you've ever run into those aliens that made up that language, you can ask them what it means. I thought that was a really good thing to say. Yeah. But they never follow through with that, so I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) They really don't. It never gets brought up again. Well, you um, know why? It's because you only you only met two out of the three. You got to have all three's input, right? No, we met three out of the four. Oh, three out of the four. Three out of the, out well, of the I four. met two out of the other three. Oh, okay. As opposed to because they've already met Thor. Kind of. Ish. Ish. Well, they're they know aware he exists. Yeah. yeah, they yeah. know he exists at least. So then Ernest hugs Daniel, and Catherine hugs Jack, and then Ernest and Catherine hug each other, and it looks like they're finally sort of getting their like. Happily ever after. The end. Or is it? (gasps) What? What? Yes. So here's something interesting. In the script, this is not where the episode ends. In the script, uh, we sort of, the camera like pans from them in the control room to the gate room as it's like fades to black and white. And we see uh, Ernest in the diving suit, but like without the helmet on yet, getting ready to like walk through the gate, talking to Dr. Langford. And Dr. Langford goes, I realize we haven't spoken about this before, but I don't know what to say. What should I tell Catherine? And Ernest goes, don't tell her anything. I'll tell her I love her myself when I get back. (gasps) The end. So he thought he was coming back. Yep. He really did think he, really he was thought. coming back. Oh. Yeah. I kind of really wanted to see that. Like, it's okay where it ends now, but after reading that in the script, I'm like, oh, but that's just, oh. That's so sweet. It is. Oh, now I'm bummed, man. <laughs> well, it's in the well, script. I mean, I'm but... not bummed because I still like I this episode, but. Yes. That is so, oh, wow. <laughs> That would have been, like, a really super powerful place to end it. Yeah. (sighs) That just would have made it extra sad that he didn't get back then. But he's back now. Like, we see him. They're back and they're reunited. So. But, yeah. I read that and I was like, aww. Well, I mean, I think that it was kind of unnecessary because, obviously, he thought that he was coming back for. It kind of would have made his character really not such a good guy if he went there knowing he wasn't coming back. Ah, uh, that's true. Yeah. So I'm, like, I'm quite you certain giant. that he left it. Yeah. <laughs> quite yeah. certain they left it with his character of like, <laughs> he obviously thought he could come back. Yeah. 
It would have been cute, though. It would have been cute. Yeah. You're right. It would have been. It really yeah. would have been. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, any lingering questions, comments, or concerns about the torment of Tantalus? Anything we didn't cover? Um, I would have thought it was funny if Daniel, in all of his haste to learn the knowledge, tried to pick up the device and bring it with him. <laughs> uh totally daniel yeah (laughs) just trying i'll take it with me i'll take it with me but no (laughs) that would have been so great uh this this is the beginning of with one exception because um because we've got this and then fire and water yep and then, well, what's next then? Thor's hammer? Uh, no, that was last week. Was Thor's, Thor's hammer's hammer. already done. Yeah. Because the DVD is in a, the DVD yeah. I have is in a different order. Yep. What is, what is 12 then? Uh, I don't I recall. Don't and then 13 is Hathor. Yes. <laughs> Do you actually remember all these titles? Well, yeah, yeah. No, twelve is twelve is fire and water, and I know this because I wrote a story that took place between fire and water and Hathor. So, what's eleven? Uh, well, next what's week next? is bloodlines. Okay, bloodlines. That's it. Yeah. So this is this is the start of three of the four strongest Jack and Daniel episodes in existence. Yeah, I believe. Yes. This is the this is the episode that <clears throat> launched the ship. <laughs> Yes. So to say, although he did kind of do the, well, we're going back to get Daniel. I don't care if we all get sick and die of caveman disease. Um, and broke yeah. too. Yeah. This is going, how would, how would you guys rate this one? Two thumbs up? Out of? I, I really do like this one. I, I feel like because they're feeling out all the episodes in the first season, that so many of them I will watch and I'll be like, I like it, but there's this, really just huge thing that I can't ignore and it's half the time when they just do something really stupid mm-hmm. but this one I really liked it yeah this one didn't really have any I have questions in it like I have questions or there's going to be some really big memos that go out around the story yeah I don't think did there's you, any yeah there's I don't think there's any memos from this episode <laughs> did you tell Brie about how we started doing that oh, oh my god like the sexual harassment seminar that all three of those men absolutely went to when they got back from the emancipation planet yes, yes. exactly yeah i think it, it started it started, it started with brief candle right where we're like memo one don't eat the cake memo right? two don't yep. have sex with strange alien people <laughs> oh that, yeah, every single one of them breaks that rule yeah but uh yeah that episode there were a lot of memos in that episode <laughs> Thor's hammer, don't just destroy a, a planet's defense systems. Yeah, without trying to come up with a plan B. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't like, think there's any memos Take Junior one. out and throw him through it real fast. Yeah. And then well, Teal walk through. Something. Or Teal, fucking run. Something. Well, it, see, it's like, it seems to be like a hard stop, Thor's hammer was. <laughs> Like Can you see Teal throwing Junior against it? It would be like it just Ol- bounces back. It would be like Olaf walking into the the cloud in front of the forest and just bouncing off over and over again. Oh no! That would have been funny. Totally inappropriate. Would not have fit the tone of the episode no. at all. 
But it would have made an amazing outtake. It would have. It would <laughs> he have. just took it. And, yeah, yeah I, I, another memo there would have been, how about give the staff weapon to the woman who um, isn't destroying the only chance she has to save the person she saves loves most in the universe? Why are we putting that on Daniel's shoulders? It had to be, though. We talked about that. Uh, it, it's the loyalty thing, but damn it. I Make know. him yeah. choose between his wife and Teal'c? That is seriously screwed up, Jack. Yeah. Yeah. So that yeah. would have been like an anonymous memo. Like somebody sent in, you know, some feedback. That would have been Daniel's <laughs> like, like going, Jack, you're a dick. Like the customer service feedback. Right. <laughs> Please rate your mission from a scale of one to ten. Do you have any feedback? How satisfied were you with this mission? <laughs> How are we doing? Call one eight hundred Stark. <laughs> oh, uh. oh man. Uh, anything else? Did, did we do it? Are we done? Yeah. Okay. We made it to the end. Yay. All right. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening. As always, you can find us on Twitter at SG underscore rewatch or email us at woo. That's W O O S G rewatch at gmail.com. Please don't forget to rate and review us, please. Bree, where can our listeners find you if they want to know more about you and see what you do on the internets? I am on a podcast called Cobra Kai Companion, Companion with a K. The best Cobra Kai podcast that exists out there. Please listen to it and watch the show if you don't. Well, I would say. It's yeah. I mean, let, let, let's not let's not toss you know Jenny and Colin and Mikey and Jeremy out the yeah. window, you know. Yeah. But we're 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 uh, we're pretty okay too. Yes. Um, so uh, and then I am Brianna twenty five on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, Instagram, fanfic.net archive of our own, and if you are a Stargate fan from the late 90s, early 2000s, and you were listening to this podcast, you may know me as the woman who actually created the Stargate Cantina video. Woo! This and still all like, of my videos are on YouTube. Yeah. Still, like, the best Stargate video ever I've ever seen. It's brilliant. Go find it. If you haven't watched it, go watch it. It's brilliant. What this woman does with videos, like, blows my mind. Uh, and and, 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 and mm-hmm. so does Present Company as well. Everything I know I learned from you, like, seriously, for real. You are is why American I got Girl into vidding. So. Yes. Hmm? yes. I said you got, you've got All American Girl on YouTube, yes? Yes. 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 Yeah, Excellent all my other Yes. I'm so go find it. Yes. Switch 842 on YouTube if you want to go find my videos. I have, like, a playlist that has all my Stargate ones on there. You the only fan video I ever made was Harry, was Harry Potter. I made one. And it was great. It's good. It was good. My first and only try. Yes. You should do more. They're fun. You should. I yeah. should. Um, anyway, so I think that's all for us this week. So we will see you next time for Bloodlines. Bye, everybody. Bye.